Hi, this is Peter Shepard. Welcome to episode 122 of In The Move Podcast. I'm here alongside... Callum Reid of Ultimate Addict. That was my really subtle cue for you to start talking there. Yes. Um, We can start talking about sport and get out of the way quickly. What's um, Because, well, I mentioned this to you, Mm. Caroline Wozniacki. (laughs) Doing twice as well as me. Do twice as well as Pete, and she's actually done a marathon. <laughs> not that which is not like in less than twice, the, but in less than twice the time. Tw- doing twice as well as me in less than twice the time. It was like th- was it three and a half hours or something? Yeah, it's, that's bloody good going. Is it? Yeah. So yeah, um, her girl at the yeah. finish line. <laughs> BFFs. <laughs> <laughs> no, consider considering uh, Wozniacki is designed for. Um, uh, interval endurance. So she's so she's not used to running at one pace the whole time. She's supposed to be doing sprints and then stopping and then sprints and stopping. That's what she's training for. It's yeah. quite it's quite impressive that she can just uncork that. Because the marathon's complete opposite. It, it is complete opposite. You still need the endurance, but you need the endurance just to go at one pace. Mm. Whereas uh, obviously in tennis, you need acceleration over short bursts. It's like football, but a little bit longer, longer. <laughs> Oh, the Giants won the World Series? Yes, yes, I saw a tiny, tiny bit of it. Um, but uh, looks like it was uh, well-deserved. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been footballing victories tonight, <laughs> which is why we're recording late in the night. Before it's on a Monday. Yeah. <laughs> um, anything else? No, that'll do. Okay. Alright, so, we're going to start with film news. There's only one bit of film news. There wouldn't have been any, um, right. except something happened today, which I... Yeah, which, my mom, which my mom told me about at work. <laughs> so I'm not even joking. Which is the very, very high-profile British Independent Film Award nominations. Oh, and uh, much like 9 out of 10 ex-girlfriends, uh, The Biffers. <laughs> Oh, God. Hopefully that'll get cut. <laughs> it won't. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> okay, best British independent... Do you actually know them, then? No. Uh, I, I assume it's just... Um, well, we've uh, seen quite a lot of them, which is good, because usually when things, things get nominated, we haven't a clue, we've not seen them yet, so we can't comment. But... Um, we've covered at least four of the best film nominees, which are 71. Yeah. Calvary. Really? Mr. Turner. Pride? Pride. Okay. And The Imitation Game. Right. Yeah, I mean, that last year I was just complaining that... <laughs> uh, it's British well, independent. It's British independent film award. And pr- basically that just means... Every British film that yeah. isn't Harry Potter yeah, or that isn't, the, isn't made by Tim Burton. Well, The Imitation Game is a Weinstein Company film 
Um, yeah, they don't mind that. I mean, so like the even the hours, which was a pretty standard co-production, would count. I, w- I would assume for for the biffers. Yeah. Um, and they just don't actually ever go for the real in British independent films. I, like I, I like Flying Blind and yeah, you know, the Flying those Blind, are the classics. Which, which I didn't like particularly, but it it was like or well, the one I did like last year is Shell. And yes. The one we we liked this year, which obviously was never going to have a hope in hell, was The Fold. Oh, God, I forgot about that. And um, See, this is where Catherine McCormack should be yeah, this entering is the, the Fold. In this the is the arena. appropriate award to reward uh, a performance like Catherine McCormack's, but it, she can't even get a look in here. Well, no, she can't. I was just going to try to prolong that, but no, she didn't. She's um, not going to. But um, the nominees, without saying anything about Mr. Turner, which we're going to talk yep. about at the end of the podcast, mm-hmm. um, I really liked 71 and Pride, so I'm happy about those two nominations. Uh, Calvary, we were both kind of mixed on. Mm. It's okay. It is. Um, yeah, and The Imitation Game, not mad on the trailer. No, the trailer looks very dry, um, but um, ho- hopefully it's hiding the good bits and uh, I, uh, when Kira's not on screen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, speaking of which, best actress. <laughs> really? <laughs> best actress, Alicia Vikander in Testament of Youth, which was at the London Film Festival. I don't know if it's, well, it must be getting a release this year if it's been... She's been nominated, but mm-hmm. um, I think it's like a period drama. Uh, Cheng Pai Pai in Lilting. Really? Yes. He was in Crouching Tiger, Once mm-hmm. Upon a Time. Mm-hmm. Gugu Mabatha Raw in Bell. Who we talked about last week, yeah. Mm-hmm. Kira Knightley in The Imitation Game. Mm-hmm. And Samina Jabin Ahmed for Catch Me Daddy. Well, okay, there are a lot. Of, <laughs> there are some quite. There's some more obscure films there. Yeah, but, thankfully, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but not not the most. Um, there's nothing really there that you think is well. well actually, I do think the Lilting nomination is the closest to inspired that that, that is there. Just on the face of it. Yeah, because that was an art house thing. Bell was pretty very much. It was like, at Cineworld. World. Yeah, plenty of people saw it. Hmm. Best actor, we have Asa Butterfield in X and Y. I got a lot of time for Asa Butterfield after Hugo and hmm. um, what was the one last year with? Oh God! This um, Ender's Game. Yeah, I didn't see it. That's why I got it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think he's quite good. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch in the Imitation Game. Hmm. Yawn. Yeah. Brendan Gleeson in Calvary. You're considering the Best Picture nomination, and so Tim Spall in Mr. Turner, given Thanks. the Best Picture nomination. And carry on. Um, Jack O'Connell. Oh, right, so you want, oh, okay, fine. Mm. Yeah, so it's all the big boys. Yeah. Mm. And we have supporting actress. Oh, don't bother. No, I'm going to, <laughs> because this is topical for later. Oh, quick. Dorothy A- <laughs> Dorothy Atkinson and Mr. Turner. Right. Imelda Staunton in Pride. Uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal in Frank. 
Sally Hawkins in X and Y and Sienna Guillory in the mm. Goob, which Arini's seen and didn't understand a word of. Really? So that's at least one that's quite marginal. Mm. And we're not going to go Best Supporting Actors. It's boring. Right. Best International Independent Film. Oh, God. Blue Ruin, which I saw. Yeah, the horror film, yeah. Quite good. Um, Boyhood. Obvious win. Which we love. Obvious win. Fruitvale Station, which was bloody awful. <laughs> um, and Ida, which I liked. I want to see that. And... Oh my god, no. You are kidding me. <laughs> How many weeks have we got this off? Yes, no. The Babadook is nominated for Best International Film. Ha- sorry, hang on. Wait, this is international, right? International and in- independent. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. It's, it's Australian. Not, it's not, it's, yeah. Oh, it's The Babadook Australian. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So there's like one foreign language film there, either. Yeah. Yeah. Funny that. Hmm. Mm. Okay. <sighs> That concludes this week's news because nothing else happened. And we're going to move on to the Red Light District. Mm. 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 Uh, Would you care to explain the inner workings of your mind when you created the Red Light District? (laughs) This is the part of the podcast where we pimp. You see what I did there? We pimp films that we've seen before or we're seeing for the first time but aren't necessarily new releases. Exactly. So, um, I have two. Right. This month. It's got to be a that we've seen like recently. Not Since going. the last one, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, I've got two as well. Excellent. I think. I might have more, but I <laughs> not that I can remember off the top of my head. Okay. Your, your first one? My first one is um, the best of the two, and it's called Le Corbo, and it's from 1943. Uh, it rings tra- a bell. Translates to The Raven. It's from um, Henri-Georges Clouseau. Right. And it's about a doctor in a French village who becomes the target of poison pen letters. Thank you, Michael Haneke. (laughs) Well, kind of. Mm. (laughs) Which they kind of accuse him of having an affair and practicing abortion and things like that. And it's a mystery, which is why I love this film, mm. um, of who's do- who's doing these poison pen letters. So it's sort of like Peyton Place, but then you've got a meets the right it. ribbon. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of it's except really they answer sad. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they do. It's Funny in, that <laughs> in a very satisfying way, <laughs> in the least Michael Haneke of ways. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, it's very it's very stylish. It's very him. It's le diabolique. It's except not. Not quite as over the top as that, but mm. um, he was a lot younger when he did this. So, but it's really, really great. So definitely check it out. I don't know how anybody would dislike this film. Mm. Um, it hasn't really got any people I recognise in it. Uh, Pierre yeah. Fresnel? Yeah, 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 I know him. Okay. Was he in um, Grand Illusion? He might have been. He's the lead, anyway. Yeah. But wonderful, and it's online. Um, mm. Awesome. The Raven slash Le Corbeau. Okay. 
Uh, my first one, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago that I'd seen it, uh, The Fountain. Gave it a rewatch. Okay. And um, I don't know, I think, I think this time, because obviously every time, what's that, what film is it from where it says that every time you see the film, uh, 12 Monkeys, where it says every time you see the film, the film's different, the film can't change, it's just that you've changed. Yeah. Um, Mulholland Drive, similar. Yeah, yeah. And it's not that I had a massively different uh, reaction, it's just that I, I was just more aware of the direction on this one. Uh, sometimes, in, in not necessarily a good or a bad way, it's just that it, there was a lot more camera movement going on than I actually remembered previously. Because previously, when I think about it back in my mind, I think of shots like uh, where you see like the uh, close to the tree and then it'll have it'll be a visual echo to the shot of like uh, the hair on uh, Vice's neck when he's like, lying next to her, stuff like that. Um... I I don't think it doesn't make a load of sense. I think it it makes us it makes enough sense in a in a Keatsian way of whole death death completing life. Blah, blah, Did you blah, just blah. say Keatsian? Yes. Wonderful. Rather than Keatsesque, I think Keatsian <laughs> rolls off the tongue a bit better. <laughs> <laughs> kind of does. Um, yeah. So what was the quality difference? Was there any change in quality from the first time you watched it? I, don't, I think time? it. I think it's. I think well the thing is when you see when you see this for the first time on the big screen when every single newspaper has panned it yeah you go in with zero expectations so the first time the first time I saw it, well not every I think one I think the guard the guardian might have given it three stars nobody gave it a good review it was all between one and three stars and I was just really surprised by it and it was, it was very it was a wonderful actual cinematic experience watching it. And it was only out for a week and then it died. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I think it's a, I think it's a triumph for low budget um, ingenuity. Visual ingenuity. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I wasn't too enamoured with it at the time, but mm. I think it's because it, there was so much emphasis on the visuals rather oh, yeah. than the story and. Mm. Yeah. But um, my second film is from 1987 and it is The Lonely Passion of Judith Hearn I've seen this film mm. it's, I watched did, it did she win the did she win the BAFTA for it she won the BAFTA Best Actress this was I believe off the top of my head this was one of three BAFTA wins in five years for Maggie Smith in the mid 80s Room with a View was it Weatherby? Room with a View Weatherby hmm? Weatherby maybe Weatherby maybe yeah. I love that film because it's got the high part picture has in Leeds in it <laughs> <laughs> and it's got Vanessa Redgrave right yeah. Um, but yeah I mean I first of all Maggie Smith's great in it she is good it's the one with Hoskins yeah yeah mm. yeah and she's a lot she's the piano teacher yes I remember. she's the alcoholic piano teacher I remember um, it now yeah yes the alcoholic quite like you actually <laughs> I almost spat my drink out there, and it and it actually wasn't beer; it's Coke Zero. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, third place in the New York Film Critics Prizes. Oh, yeah, really. Um, but she's very she's very good, and the film is is good too. And I seem to remember it falling off the cliff a bit towards the end. Yeah, it gets a bit theatrical towards the end, which is disappointing, and. Um, Bob Hoskins, they kind of try and make Bob Hoskins a villain in a huge way, actually, halfway through with something he does. Oh, yeah, I remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and then they sort of make him a bit redeemable towards the end, which I was sort of not mm. really on board with. No. But um, I think her story is good, and Wendy Hill is also in it in a supporting role, and she's great. Because mm. she's really getting on in this film, because Wendy Hiller was in oh, Pygmalion, yeah. obviously, in the yes. 30s. And yeah. This which is, which is really it, so. good, by the way. I was yeah. shocked how good Pygmalion was when I, when I caught that one off a... I think it was Love Film. It's so. better than My Fair Lady. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Uh, my one was also in 1987, which is why Cal watched that one from 1987. And it is my best actress win that year, which is Anne Bancroft in 84, Charming Cross Road. Mm, which which I you've mentioned. Yeah, which oh, I bought. Oh, you watched it with your parents? I, yeah, I bought it for like three pounds. Pa- I bought it for my mum and dad because we were talking about it when we were talking about Alec Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> no, not Alec Guinness, and uh, Richard Attenborough. <laughs> Because they, they they got it confused with Willington Place. Yeah, which is um, easily done. Yeah, kind of. But um, yeah, it's, it's got a, it's got a number in the title. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I didn't. This didn't have the emotional punch it did the first time I saw it. And I think uh, I know why I really loved it, and I I still think it's a very good film. I know why I really loved it the first time around because whenever you've had any sort of um, uh, online relationships or what have you, which which are basically which are pen pals, done. which yeah. are basically pen pals, uh, which is what this is basically. She's she's the setup is she's in New York. She's a, a TV writer and she's uh, ordering books that she can't get from uh, Tony Hopkins's shop in eighty four Charing Cross Road, and so she'll um, uh, give him a list of what he wants and then he'll send it back and then she'll send him a, <laughs> a reply berating him for the quality of the print that he's found, <laughs> stuff like that. But then she'll also be set. This is it's just set immediately after the war. So when when they find something wonderful for her, she'll like um, be buying all the, all the people in the shop um, stuff that they can't get because they're still on rations after the war. And so basically everybody um, uh, in the shop has an affinity for that particular customer. But um, obviously Tony Hopkins is the main focal point of it all. Um, and it's it is it's 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 a it's a fantastic performance from Bancroft, and it's one of the few where she doesn't go over the top. And when she does go over the top, it's not necessarily over the top, she's just being frenzied because the character's getting frenzied. And I don't see it as her acting, which I do sometimes with Bancroft. Uh, yeah, I can tend to, especially in the later days, actually. Um, yeah. With the, the 70s stuff and with the... Have you ever seen a film called Garbo Talks? I want to. But I've heard it's not that good. It's so, where she's obsessed with Greta Garbo. Because I love Garbo. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's like, well, she's not in it, Greta Garbo, obviously, mm. but yeah, Greta Garbo is in it in some capacity, mm. the character. Yeah, um, but it's it's okay. Mm. Garbo's uh, Garbo Bancroft's is fine. <laughs> but yes, it, it is. It, it's just a nice little film. It's a very old-fashioned story, and um, in yeah, it's it's still very good. It's well worth three pounds. It'll take you to buy it on a plane. <laughs> Wonderful. Right. Do you want to have a little convo about eighty-seven? Or I love eighty-seven. I haven't. I, I. I. I actually kind of want to have this conversation without even getting up my list because <laughs> it's a great year for a foreign language film. Um, off the top of my head, uh, there's Babette's Feast. There's a uh, Kieslowski, uh, which I'm going to say is Blind Chance. There's Wings of Desire. Lovely, wonderful film. Yeah, that's. I think that's my win. 
Au revoir les enfants. Yeah, that's in my top five. And then you've got some really cracking, because I mean, I don't want to go on about foreign language films or what have you. There's some really good, entertaining American films that year, like The Untouchables. Nice. Um, that's just off the, straight off the top of my head. The Untouchables is really good. And then um, what, what I, is, Broadcast News. Broadcast News is wonderful. I love that film. Very entertaining. Yeah, Holly Hunt was brilliant in that. Fantastic. Film. Will Bill Hurt, um, Albert Brooks. So is that it. so? Is that the is that Moonstruck then? Eighty-seven. Moonstruck is eighty-seven. Share winning Oscar. Olympia Dukakis winning Life in general. Yes. Yeah. And the Oscar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's an enter- that's just a fun, entertaining film as well. Yeah. We've got, um, I, I like Fatal Attraction, which again yeah. is a, a entertaining film. Raising Arizona. Yeah, that's that? fun. That's one of the Cohen ones I like. I'm very hit with some of the Cohen's, but yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, I'm sure this is the thing. I mean, I, I could. That's just literally off the top of my head. Yeah. Full Metal Jacket um, is Ooh. one that's got some dodgy moments in it. It's not my favourite Kubrick, but. It is my favourite Kubrick, actually. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I um I just I think the first half is perfect, and um, the second half I agree it has a few issues, um, particularly the end. But yeah, I do, I do think the end. But I do think I mean even to this like it, Children of Men was ripping off Full Metal Jacket twenty years after the fact with the sort of low low to the ground um, uh, camera work, it's just snaking through the war zones. Yeah. There's bits of Malik as um, Malik stuff as well. Mm. The red line from Full Metal Jacket. Mm. Um, we've got Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Very Funny entertaining film, film from '87. So uh, I've got some bad films from '87. Go for it. I've probably seen more, but go for it. I want to talk Dirty Dancing. <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about Dirty Dancing on the podcast. No, the only time we do is when we're talking about like films that are homaging it, like Crazy Stupid Love or um, Heartbreaker. Yeah, but this... <laughs> I've not seen it for at least, well, over half of my life. <laughs> well, it's a soap opera. That's all you can say for it. Nobody puts baby in the corner. Indeed. Uh, there are some... The only Robert Altman film I don't like, which is Beyond Therapy, is borderline unwatchable apart from Glenda Jackson well yeah I mean yeah Good Morning Vietnam I don't like Um, even though Robin Williams is very funny in it you know what we have actually between us named every single one of my top 10 apart from Pele the Conqueror wow which you mentioned last week Warcast News is in there Full Metal Jackets in there Charm Cross Road Raising Arizona yeah it's all there uh I want to pimp out uh, Jack Nicholson in Ironweed, one of the most under-mentioned best actor-nominated performances, and I think he and actress, yeah, and he absolutely knocks it out of the park. I think it's uh, one of his three best performances. I think he's absolutely brilliant in it, and I can see why every single major actor wanted that role at the time. Mm. Um, I've yet to see that one, but I'm very much looking forward to it because it's the guy who did. Um... Kiss of the Spider Woman. Yes, uh, we've also mentioned four of my five uh, actress uh, nominees: Bancroft, Smith, Hunter, Sher, and there's Faye Dunaway in Barfly as well. Who can yes. forget the legs? 
which we've mentioned plenty on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, we have, we have. I'd just like to quickly mention the one film that's like sticking out that uh, hasn't had a mention, uh, the only one that hasn't had a mention that I'd like to uh, talk about in terms of my top tens is uh, Zhang Yimou's debut, which is Red Sorghum, which is quite good, and um, uh, Gong Li's pretty good in. But they both went on to better things to get together. Okay, that was a rare, modest moment for Gong Li. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Zhang Yimou. I love Zhang Yimou. <laughs> but it's not one of his better ones. I, mean, you, you, I think you, this is one of those ones that like, years ago I blind bought from a, <laughs> from a uh, website in Hong Kong but <laughs> with English subtitles. <laughs> but, and now you can get it online. I'm almost certain. Have you seen Empire of the Sun? Yes. Not, is, many times. <laughs> so it's not that good? No, I actually think it's quite good. It's um, it has its moments. It, 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 but it's Spielberg going for the cheese at times. Malkovich is very good. Malkovich is the best thing in it. Okay. He's in my top. He's in my top ten. Um, other options: My Life as a Dog, which we haven't seen, mm. but it's very much pimped by other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen The Untouchables with Neil and I. I haven't seen. I hate that film, but okay. I just don't like the sense the. But then it's the sort of film like Spinal Tap. I just don't like that sort of humour. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Mm. So this week, uh, we're going to have a brief... Well, we won't do preconceptions for Charlie Countryman. Uh, preconceptions uh, for Nightcrawler. Uh, Bogovi, which is uh, Gods, I think the um, think they put up as the English title. It's a Polish film. Mr. And Mr. Turner. So, your preconceptions for Nightcrawler? I liked the trailer. Mm. I thought it looked exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, I... Jake Gyllenhaal... I don't think he's a wonderful actor. I think mm. he's fine. I, mm. I wouldn't be excited to see him in anything. Yeah. Uh, Rene Russo, I... She hasn't done anything for ages... At least ten years on a high-profile level, but I do remember her fondly from Tin Cup and um, Major the League Thomas Crown Affair. Right, right. <laughs> but not fondly enough to really be excited about her either. Yeah. Um, I did know it was the brother of Tony Gilroy who did this, mm. who did Michael Clayton and Duplicity, which I both I liked both of those. Mm. Um, so that was not necessarily a negative. Um, and yeah alright uh, I didn't like the trailer uh, okay. I thought the preconception was that it looked really frenzied in a sort of Cronenbergish type way right um, I also uh, I'm with you on G- Gyllenhaal I think he's okay uh, but he's not uh, he's not going to be a plus for me uh, Rene Russo yeah again I've got a lot of um, fondness towards her <laughs> Growing up, God. a lot of growing fondness. <laughs> I was trying to keep it classy, um, <laughs> and yeah, I also knew it was Tony Gill's brother, but it doesn't. It's not a plus or a negative. Uh, my Polish one, I knew it was about a. Um, I knew it was set in the eighties, so um, it would be like solidarity sort of backdrop. I knew it was Shocker. about. I knew it was about a heart uh, guy who was trying to do a heart transplant, and that was about it. It was that or horns, and I just caved at the end. I couldn't bring myself to see horns. <laughs> Can see Juno Temple. Well, it's not much. Like that. It just looked, the trailer was appalling. Um, so, uh, preconception, Mr. Turner. Well, Mike Lee, I 
like everything he's ever done that I've seen. Mm. <laughs> it's not one of his films that I dislike, so mm. I was expecting it to be good. I wasn't mad on the title. I think it's not exactly going to draw people in. No. Um, and I don't know a lot about the man himself, uh, yeah. the artist Turner. I couldn't have named a painting of his before watching the film. Right. And the cast, Timothy Spall, would have been a plus 20 years ago, or 15 years ago, after Secrets and Lies, that kind Mm. of thing. Lately, actually, he was good in... um, What about All or Nothing? He was good in The Love Punch. I haven't seen All or Nothing. Okay. Um, But in stuff like The King's Speech, I thought he was really bad. So I was hoping that he wasn't going to be putting on... What about Enchanted? A really... (laughs) I was hoping that he wasn't going to be putting on a really grouchy performance that was all surface and no depth. Yeah. That was a preconception. Right. Um, So for me, with Mike Lee, I don't think Mike Lee's ever made a bad film. So Mm -hmm. I was not expecting this to be bad. I do think he's capable of uh, some films which are really quite... Just fall flat. Uh, naked. Underwhelming. Yeah, uh, another year was one of those for me. Naked was one of those for me. Um, so it's not like I think that everything he does is fantastic. Uh, but uh, but I don't think he's capable of making a bad film. Um, and with him, I always expect good acting at the very least. Yeah. Um, Tim Spall in the lead. That's a plus for me, considering it's Mike Lee. I liked Tim Spall in All or Nothing. Um, Secrets and Lies. Yeah, Secrets and Lies is fantastic. So the fact that him and Lee uh, uh, that that's that works for me. Um, and in general, Turner. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've been to the Tate a few times, and I love Turner's. <laughs> I, I love Turner's paintings. Uh, okay, but, but I didn't know anything about the bloke at all. Um, no, me neither. So it's it's. But then that's a not an abnormal situation for me when I go to watch a biopic of um, somebody famous. Yeah. For example, I didn't know anything about Johnny Cash before I watched Walk the Line. So. Yeah. Mm. That's what you go there for. Yeah. To see. Right, uh, so we'll start off just with a brief. I'm quite pleased that Child, Necessary Death of Charlie Countryman is actually in Cine Worlds. Because it is was. That uh, so people can see Shia LaBeouf in all his glory. Well, God, oh, God, what was the, what was the rumour that he actually did drugs for a scene where he's on drugs? <laughs> Probably not a rumour. God. Uh, but this is, this is a weird film. It's pretty crazy. It's got that sort of, uh, as I recall, it's got, because it's been like 18 months since I saw it in Berlin. Uh, world premiere, actually. Thank you, Irene. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's it's got that sort of lock stockish type vibe to it. Um, so that's why I'm again I'm surprised because it, it, it's not as if it's like uncom- an uncommercial film. And um, it's shot it's shot it's trying it's very hardest to be cool. And I thought the direction was quite good. Um, What's but, it about exactly? Oh, he's his his mother's just died. And he's going over to Hungary or something like that, somewhere like that. And on the plane on the way over, some some guys, uh, the bloke who, start, who starts a conversation with, carks it on the plane. And uh, then he gets drawn into a game of um, intrigue with the load of local drug dealers. Friday night at the Royal. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> and is it Natalie Portman? Uh, Evan Rachel Wood. Evan Rachel Wood. Uh, do, do, well, a consistent accent, I'll put it that way. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen's um, 
probably miscast as I remember. Um, I don't, but yeah. But um, no, it's 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 an interesting little film. I, it, it requires a fair bit of goodwill, especially at the end. Um, and it, but I do think I mean you know what when LeBeouf's like tr- just trying to, he's got that boyish charm, attempted seduction, like he had in Transformers. He does it quite well. Uh, he's yeah. not he's not annoying with it when he's just blatantly trying it on with someone. Which he's not smarmy, which some people are, uh, can be. He's not annoying with it. He does have that. So he, he delivers those lines in a very cute. Uh, believable way but still boyishly charming well he's absolutely adorable in Disturbia I don't know if I've mentioned this but he's my best actor win for Disturbia Uh, oh I know you love it Uh, no I don't love the film Mm. I think it's kind of an interesting riff 21st century riff on Rear rear Window Mm. but I just thought he was really charismatic in it and Mm. because it's like the Jimmy Stewart thing he has to lead the film he's pretty much the only character in it Mm. So, but yeah, why do you think it's taken so long for this film to get a release? Because it wasn't an American production, I think. I think it was a guy Frederick Bond, and that's without a C in his name. Um, so, <laughs> not a C to his name. No, um, it's got like people like Rupert Grint and the lad from the Inbetweeners in um, in like small roles of like his like drugged up mates he meets at the hostel. I think it's it's not an easy sell because it is a very weird film and there is a lot of like um like conversation like there's a lot there is a lot of weirdness there's just no getting around it it's it's uneasy it's not it's difficult to pitch in a sentence so that's probably why it's taken a while but I don't know it got good it got a good reaction when we were in there hmm. so what grade is that I gave it a six at the time okay. And you're not eager to see it again? I, w- I w- if any if I knew anyone who was interested in going, I would definitely go and see it again. Okay. So Nightcrawler, this is going to be you then. It is, yes. I'm prepared. Ah. So Nightcrawler, not that it's really difficult, but no. Nightcrawler's about a very, very gaunt-looking Jake Gyllenhaal, disappointingly, who <laughs> say do. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, who we see selling stolen goods to the owner of a garage um, near the start of the film. He's most most unconvincing uh, macho beat-up scene uh, of 2014. What, the police thing? No, when he beats at the bloke at the beginning. It's not a cop, is it? He beats at the security guard at the beginning. I'm thinking, oh, really? it's a security guard. I thought really? it was a cop. So really, seriously? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> It was almost like a vampire thing, mm. like because mm. it was shot from so far back. Mm. Yeah, um, and he did look like he needed to drink blood, Jake, in this film. <laughs> anyway, so he's broke at the beginning. He's looking for work. He's clearly he's a thief. He'll do anything he can to get money. One day he's driving down the highway, notices a car crash, um, and he pulls over to see what's going on. I'm not sure why. There he discovers a maverick camera crew who are capturing the accident and the police rescuing this woman and they've gone there to get footage of this so they can sell it to the uh, morning local news crews in America. Yes, yes. Uh, the studios. And um, Jill, Jake Gyllenhaal's character sees his calling in life and begins setting up a video production company he employs him and one of the bloke. <laughs> he employs Reese Ahmed, 
and um, gets the backing of a TV news executive who's played by Rene Russo. Yeah. And shenanigans ensue. Ensue they do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what did you think of the film then? Did you, were I, your was, I was surprised. I was surprised. Good. Uh, in a good way, yeah, I was surprised in a good way. I, I, um, there are, all the frenzied moments are in the trailer. And for the rest of the time, it's really not. Um, Gyllenhaal is playing it as, him as a sort of like, psychopath. Sociopath slash psychopath, basically. He's just got no way, no way of dealing with people. Yeah. Uh, and that's the least interesting thing in the film. Uh, the interesting thing I think is the uh, the social comment on the media role of the media. A- absolutely, yeah. And there's, there's one brilliant because basically what happens is he takes because he's got no sense of shame or morals, he goes further than, than other people would do uh, to get to get the material that he wants to so that he can uh, earn more money. And um, so as this uh, culminate, this culminates in a, in a scene where he basically gets to a crime scene before the police does and witnesses a murder. Although and I'm not quite sure how he manages that. No, it's it's not necessarily spectacularly convincing. No, but that's um, fine. You could pick things apart if yeah. you want, but this film, this film doesn't really make make you want to pick things apart. No, but. and um, a you've got the interesting part of that with him holding stuff back but then the really interesting part is how that is then in the newsroom from, from in, in the control room how when there's a scene where Rene Russo is basically telling the uh, newscasters through their earpieces how they should be reporting this news and that is the scene in the film for me because yeah. that it's it's completely arresting intellectually and emotionally as well because you, because you can you can see her pulling the strings yeah uh uh, it's it's realistic because I've seen actual clips of doing that, and mm. it is very much. It's a really, you know, people think it's TV is just easy. It's not. Mm. You know, it's it's not like yapping off in front of a camera like you said about Gerard <laughs> Butler in Playing for Keeps. Catherine Zeta Jones in Playing for Keeps. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so there were, there were, but that's not the only scene like that. There's a, there's there's um, a scene towards the end at a coffee shop. Uh, with the cops, and uh, it's a similar thing. It's it's gen. It is genuinely. It, that is, it, the film goes quiet in these moments, and it really does create a decent uh, a decent amount of tension. And it's uh, a, it's an amazing sequence near the end. Amazing action spectacle. Yeah, this, it, film, this yeah. film's got it all. Really, it's got it's got the social commentary. It's it's an action film. It's a great character study of this guy, which he said wasn't that interesting to you but mm. I thought well, I just it, say it's the least interesting thing about it yeah but I, I saw he did it quite well actually really well actually at times but I think he smooths it out the longer it goes yeah um, um, and and Rene Russo I think is really great in this the scene at, uh, the scene where she has a go at him in the control room <laughs> this isn't yeah. what you promised me <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a it's a very well done I don't want to give this endless praise because it's just against my no, no, no. sensibility. No, it's, it's against my sensibilities. Um, I do think some of the stuff with um, I know why it's there. Uh, so, so I'll get that out of the way first. And I'll come back to it. It's part of the part of the thing is that um, uh, he's trying to sort of blackmail Russo into sleeping with him. Yeah. Uh, um, that scene could have come off so much worse, though. That was 
it could, really... but but I know why it's there. Uh, 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 it's there because it's trying to show you that he's got no morals whatsoever, and so it, it, it's not just professionally. It's just that he, the, he, uh, he has no con- no concept of how to deal with people, and so so I, I, I get. In terms of the character and in terms of the wider message, why that scene is in there and why that thread is in there, I yeah. just think it comes across as disjointed with the rest of it. Even though I know it's supposed to be integrated and it makes it does add into the wider point, I just think it sticks out like a sore thumb. But it's it seems like he's always pushing for more that character mm. in every step. Yeah. So it makes sense they would push for something he hasn't got. Mm. Um. I don't know. I'm. You what? You think it's too orchestrated from his party? No, I think it's just too random. I think it's just too random. It just fit. It just in terms of tone, I think it feels off with with the rest of it. Um, so, like I said, I know why it's there. I just think it just it just sticks out. So I think it might might be more of a directorial thing. And don't get me wrong, Gyllenhaal doesn't play it any differently to the, how he plays the rest of it. Yeah. I just think, given the, and I don't think Russo does a bad job in reacting to it. I just think I. Just, didn't really buy it in terms of. I like that they the didn't show any of that though. Mm. That was quite good. Like, there's only one reference to it, and which is funny. Rest... Which is funny. <laughs> yeah, and then the rest is really just done through Russo's um, internal kind of struggle mm. with him. Yeah, which is really good because she knows. Very, in, I think in that scene, the one thing that comes out is that she knows that. Um, uh, She's not going to be able to keep a lid on this guy. No. But she wants. To, she wants to. But keep she. Need, but but it's a symbiotic relationship, and he's giving her what she needs, and she's and she needs what he what he's giving her. Yeah, and that's yeah, and at first when when you get to that scene that you kind of think mm. sticks out, mm. it does feel as if why why would she need this? It seems like it's a bit much. They do explain this, it, but then but... they do, they do, they do explain it later enough. Mm. Um, but what about Reese Ahmed? He's Who's good. British and he's good. Completely convincing in this. He is good. He's he, the, the he's he's got a delicacy to his performance, uh, which is very surprising given the sort of film that you would think. This is going to be. Yeah, I, I do it's the think... only likable character in the film. Really. Yeah, I do think there's a bit Chris Nolan esque for his character with the writing, and especially in the last twenty minutes or so, he's got to unburden a load of um, yeah subtext. I don't like that yeah, um, but um, he does it, and I do think um, in the scene with the coffee shop, he's he's basically there to his character is there to amp it up with his reactions to it. Uh, yeah. I did think it was a bit unnecessary, but it's not his fault. I mean, he's acting it fine. He's acting it exactly as well as you'd, you'd want him to, Yeah, if that's your script. <laughs> I, I do think this the film has piercing issues with... I mean, this kind of like, once he gets into this new business, there's a montage. Yeah. And then it seems like after the montage, it takes quite a while to get to the whole home invasion development yeah. of the plot. I... Not really sure it needs that much time in between. I think it probably could have been a bit shorter the film, but um, but it is. Yeah. It's not like it it gets bogged down at any point. No, you know it's because it's directed quite well on the whole. But yeah, I mean you. Um, I think the directions actually. Uh, I think with this one, I mean 
kind of like Zodiac, it has a poor, um, uh, it, it, it deals with the passage of time quite poorly. And so I don't think you've got any idea whether this is taking over the cake over weeks or months or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, but I, I, I think it's, uh, very interestingly shot. Um, it's quite Michael Mann esque. Uh, yeah, I see what you're saying that, yeah. Just because it's mostly at night. And... Yeah, less digital, which is good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have no idea whether this kind of thing's realistic, this whole night crawling. It'd be interesting. To, it makes you interested. It's it's a film about something that isn't documented very often, if no. ever. No. So that's good. And it's it's kind of like this guy's gotten this idea and crafted a story around it, which is great. Bill Paxton, quite good in a, in a small nothing role. Yeah, because you hated him. In yeah. The, yeah. Um, I was going to say The Day After Tomorrow. What was <laughs> it? Well, what was the other thing we saw him in recently? He was good in... Um... Uh, like Bell, like Bell, like Bell, like Bell, like Bell, like Bell. What was, what was the film? Uh, million, million Dollar, dollar Arm. <laughs> Sorry, you could see where my mind got stuck there for a second. <laughs> Sorry, someone reset me. Turn me off and switch me back on again. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> oh my god. That's funny. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna give Nightcrawler a B plus. I thought it was mainly because I think it's a great overall package of a film. It's a great ent- entertainment. It's a great comment piece. Mm. So it, yeah, I thought it pushed a lot of buttons and um, mainly uh, hit what it was going for. So yeah. Mm. What do you? Mean? Oh, uh, when I left, it was a six. I but I have been recommending it. It's on that big borderline between six and seven out of ten. Um, I think the long run divorce from it. Shut up, Peter. Just say that uh, I'm going to give it a seven because I'm in a good mood. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so from um, Rene Russo to Paul's and oh well, gods from goddesses to gods. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So this film is indeed, uh, indeed set in the early 1980s. It begins with. Um, it begins with the first attempt at a, tra- a heart transplant in Poland, which uh, happened in the late sixties. Uh, the guy died on the table, uh, and so it sh- shows you like um, TV footage of the guy being in- uh, the guy being interviewed and saying, "Well, if you uh, just cut, cut a week of this guy's life short, then uh, uh, it's wrong." All that sort of stuff. People judging him, and there's a good line where he says that in Poland, even uh, people are envious even of your failures. <laughs> Is he? Um... On the front of the sun, frolicking with the princess, by any chance. Funny. <laughs> no, he saved lives, thank you. I mean, he's done saving lives, not 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 not, not, not taking them. Uh, and anyway, so cut to a few years later. Um, there's a uh, a young doctor, a bit of a maverick. He's um, he uh, wants to go in the direction of a heart transplant. He's um, uh, pushing the limits of what he can do. Uh, with his with his heart surgery, uh, but because he's in, in charge of his own clinic, um, he's hoping that he can uh, push for it and get it done there. When it becomes clear that that's uh, not going to happen, uh, he he takes up an offer to have his own clinic and he uh, uh, explores explores the matter from there. 
on out. Okay. And and does great work, presumably. Well, you know it's going to happen. Yeah. You know, you know it's going to happen. Because it says but it, based on the true story at the beginning. Not, not a true story, based on the true story. So you know that this happens. Uh, but that's not that's not necessarily the point. Um I do think uh, this is it's got a good soundtrack. Lots of like late six, like late late sixties uh, to seventies uh, rock, which I think is quite realistic because in the eight, it's it's the Scorsese. It takes mean, a while to filter through. Yeah, it's the Scorsese Mean Streets thing where you have a lot of fifties and sixties music in for a film set in nineteen seventy three because that's what you would be listening to. Yeah, it's like if you walk into a student union and you and if, or or a bar on a campus and there was a jukebox, you probably would hear the Strokes. Even. I still listen to a bit of Samantha Mumba right now. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Um, so uh, it's got it's got a good soundtrack. It's 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 uh, it's quite, it's quite a lot of kinetic energy. It reminded me a bit of Seventy Million or Eighty Million. Sorry, that was Seventy Million was obviously the prequel. I thought uh, it was fifty million. I think it's Eighty Million. Okay, <laughs> reminded me a bit of Eighty Million, but it's not. It doesn't. It's not as entertaining overall as Eighty Million because it's more of a medical procedural. Um, I guess my problem with it is that it doesn't de- the interest. So if you know he's going to do it, the interesting thing is how is he going to get it done? And they very much focus on the logistical side of this. How is he going to get this done in Poland? Um, uh, does it does he go through the party? Does he uh, go uh, through? Uh, back channels? Does he go through normal channels? Does he go through his boss? Uh, does he? Uh, how, how is he literally going to get it done? When he gets his clinic, uh, they, they don't get given any money. What's he going to do then? It's all the physical logistics of how is he going to get his place set up literally to do it. Uh, I think what what it, it I think it does a, a fine job of de- of detailing all those problems that he ca- that they came across, but I think it does a very poor job of. Uh, show, showing literally the, <laughs> how he developed the uh, knowledge and the skill to be able to actually pull it off because it doesn't actually detail that side of it at all, the actual medical problems um, uh, that went into it because other people have fa- tried and failed uh, and you just see him occasionally reading the old um, journal and he's like, oh, I yeah. practiced on, practice on dogs and cadavers, I'll, it'll be fine I've never seen it done but it'll be fine <laughs> so he's a bit of a maverick then. Well, yeah, very much so. But uh, I mean, so my one of my friends um, was uh, on the uh, hand transplant team for the first hand transplant in the UK last yes. year, yeah. and he, um, so I was literally in in his in his uh, kitchen two months before the uh, transplant, and. Uh, he was trying to see if they could afford to send him to uh, America to go to a um, uh, n- not a symposium, what they call to a congress type thing yeah. um, to get that a uh, bit of last minute. Even though they knew what they were doing, just get cross a few T's, dot a few I's, and see if there's anything else that they need to know. Just etc. Didn't end up doing it, but the, 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 that's that's the sort of that's the sort of thing that they were doing. So with this, where there's just like nothing on that side of it, it just didn't didn't necessarily sit. I was thinking, well, why is that come from? Why is that come from? And I think they do that with the person. Like he leaves his wife to go into this, get this job in the sticks, and he's just like they don't even mention her for about half an hour. Doesn't doesn't go doesn't show the, the personal um, uh, effects of the of his of his uh, professional yeah. choices. 
You think it's too clinical? Or... A little bit. I think it's just obsessed with the, the literally how is he going to get this done. It doesn't um, show the wider impact on him. It shows, don't get me wrong, it shows him getting rat every now and again. <laughs> Um, but that's about it, and it doesn't uh, it doesn't show any, any of the relationships that he has because and it's and as such it's not a character piece, and as such it's not really an actor's piece either. It is nice. it um, it just really relies on the interest of the subject matter and the way in which it's told uh, in order to uh, pr- provide and sustain the interest. And how strong is the interest overall? Then is it? I think it's. I, I wouldn't say it's not weak. It's not weak, right. but it, it's not overpowering either. Yeah. It's a two-hour film about a heart surgeon. Yeah. I'd say it sustains the interest for about an hour and 15 minutes, and then for the last 45, you're thinking, okay. Well, that's not bad, actually, yeah. is it? No, but that's because of how of how well how good the direction is in general and the uh, energy that they do put into the montages and uh, certain things. Um, but, yeah, it, 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 it could have been... Much more interesting, uh, but they would have, but it would have to be a lot longer <laughs> in order for them to do that. It'd have to be at least twenty minutes longer, if not half an hour longer, in order to do that. And I don't know how you would sustain the interest over all of that. Or maybe you would sustain the interest because you're adding a lot more to it. But uh, and maybe maybe you cut some of the other things out, some of the more procedural things out. But no, uh, six out of ten, decent film. Um, yeah. And this is Bog is it Bogovi? Bogovi, I think. Or B- Bogovi. Yeah. Uh, brackets gods. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Alright, so um film of the week. Film of the week. This is Mr. Turner. Um, no, not my friend Dan, who lives in Litchfield. Is is this the bridge? So he's <laughs> he's a heart surgeon. No, no, a different Dan. No, that that actually is the Dan who can do the 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 marathon in three hours thirty minutes, which is why I know that Wozniacki did a good time. (laughs) Oh, okay. So it's a different Dan. Different Dan, yeah. Okay, it's the tale of the two Dans, Mm. really. The second Dan. (laughs) (laughs) We need another one so we can get to third Dan. I've just like prayed like I'm on Starfighter. Where's Daniel Bloody Mears when you need him? Brawl. Same maze because of Mike Lee. <laughs> anyway, um, this is Mr. Turner. It tells the later part of the life of Joseph Mallard William Turner, who is played by Timothy Spall, who was a famous artist who painted a lot of paintings to do with weather, um, the sea, climate, mm-hmm. yeah, um, natural stuff. Marine um, artist. Yes. Uh, he lives with his father, has two daughters that he doesn't appear to care for, to a woman that he definitely doesn't care for, and he eventually um, embarks on a love affair with a woman from Mar- Margate, mm. of all places, mm. which um, was pretty big back then. Mm. It was the um, San Moritz of its time, I'm sure. I thought you were going to say San Tropez. <laughs> Same deal. Yeah. Um, one from Margate, played by Marion Bailey. Um, so he does this while trying to contend with high society and the many painters, arrogant painters, vying for the attention of the public. Mm. Mm. So, yes. That's fair enough. Right. It, right. 
if there's a comparison, <laughs> I don't want to reduce this film to a comparison because it's no, there's better. plenty of comparisons. It's much better than it's much better than that. But Bright Star, we can go. You can compare it with Bright Star, but I don't think favorably. <laughs> I oh, think really? Bright, I think Bright Star does what this film doesn't. Because um, I came out of this film, and I just wondered why on earth they'd made it because. Well, apart from the fa- apart from the fact that he made really nice paintings, I didn't get anything that was interesting about the guy's life, whatsoever. I mean, I... okay, you you shag <laughs> you shag your maid, you shag prostitutes, and eventually you shag uh, women who own hotels that you stay at, and that's the only interesting the things that happen in your life. I mean, I mean, it, it doesn't the... if you if, to to show a comparison. Could... The first the, the big comparison for me was girl pearl earring. Because uh, that's about a very famous painter. That's about him create, creating work. But the thing with that is, it's about two things. That was about their relationship, and it was also about uh, creation, inspiration, all that sort of thing. And um, I didn't get that. <laughs> I didn't get either of those things with this film. It's the same with uh, with Topsy something like Topsy Turvy. And this was the compar- the thing I was expecting it to be like because I knew it was two and a half hours long. Yeah, uh, and I knew it was it was Mike Lee's style. But with Topsy Turvy, I didn't know anything about Gilbert and Sullivan, uh, really. I knew a few of the songs, and, and, and like like I've seen a few of the paintings, <laughs> so I was in the same boat. But so, but you get all the, the you get the with Topsy Turvy, you get the Gilbert and Sullivan's dynamic of them at each other, which is interesting. You get their relationship with Doily Cart, which is interesting. Then you get him being inspired by uh, the uh, exhibition and, and, and get putting that into active creation, which is interesting. And then you have the rehearsals, which are really funny and entertaining and which are interesting. Then you've got the backstory of him and his wife, which is an absolute killer at the end with Leslie Manville. And so, you, and don't get me wrong, it's too long and it's got problems. But there's so many things in there that really are interesting. I, I really get why they did it. But with this, yeah. there's so little. I mean, it's just an old bloke who's on the way down and he's about to die. Yeah. <laughs> ouch. Ouch. That was an evisceration. Oh, sorry. I don't hate it. But it's I, just... I really like the film. I, I don't think it's perfect. Mm. I do think it has problems. But I don't want to... Basically, I want to say, go back to Bright Star thing. Mm. Just because I think it looks stunning. I, it does look stunning. The colours are amazing. The yellows, the oranges, yes. And he's clearly done that because it's sort of like... He's created the colour palette of the film based on... Yeah. Because it's a biographical film about an artist. Yeah. And it's amazing. I think this film, the best thing about the film is the direction by a mile. Yeah. Because I mean, Dick Pope is, I mean, the wa- he's done well, one. Cinemas, yeah. Yeah, he's done, he's done one wow thing before, and it wasn't with. He is Mike Lee's cinematographer. He's done one wow thing before, and it wasn't with Mike Lee. It was The Illusionist. And that was an absolute wow of, of, a, of, a, of a piece of photography on film. But uh, he hasn't had it's sort of, he's he's had Vera Drake, but he didn't really have the opportunity with Vera Drake no. that he does with this. No, and there is elements of Vera Drake to this because a lot of it is inside and mm. it's quite grubby. Um, yeah, but then you've got when you get to the landscapes, it's yeah. just unbelievable. No, the sh- there the was shot with the um, uh, windmill at the beginning. Uh, yeah. the, the the Margate scenes is it's all the fantastic. Boats. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think there's really a, if you're doing a film about an artist, I don't think there's a there are very few uh, reasons for it not to look gorgeous. So, go with the poet. Well, I mean, it's completely drained. It's drained of colour, but it looks gorgeous. Uh, something like Renoir is it's a, a beautiful film to look at. Uh, yeah. The one thing that doesn't 
really go that way that I can think of off the top of my head is something like Savage Messiah. Um, but that's about um, a sculptor, so it's a little bit different. Yeah, and Ken Russell's not exactly elegant. <laughs> what for? For better or worse? Yeah, no, 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 no. but um, no, I just I my I just think with this, Lee probably thought I really like Turner's paintings, and I really like Tim Spall, and I'm only ever going to work with people like Tim Spall, so I might as well get him to do that, and we'll see how it goes. I think maybe he was I, just generally thinking his method of working might actually bring something more interesting to the bare bones of his life. Well, that's interesting because I actually was going to ask whether. Do you not think that Mike Lee identifies with Turner? Because mm. this is about a guy who's in his twilight years. Maybe there's people in uh, with Turner as well taking his work for granted. And I just wondered if this was something that Mike Lee identified with because mm. a lot of people are thinking, oh, kind of taking Mike Lee for granted a little bit. You well, know, look at Happy Go Lucky. lucky. Yeah. Well, that was, you yeah. know, that was nice, but okay. So... And then there's also like comments on how artists are looked down upon by different generations. Yeah. So maybe Mike Lee doesn't feel like mm. the, a new generation of film goes are responding as much as the old ones were. Mm. That's I don't know. I I'm not really sure what would have drawn him to the story because I I agree with you. I don't think it's a big character study of the guy. No. Um, I don't think there's a lot of layers to the character, but no. I do like the inner workings of the artist community in the yeah. film. Well, this is the thing. The most interesting character to me, to me was Hayden. And I was just... Yeah. Whenever he took... Whenever... Uh, it's, I think his name's Martin Savage. Whenever he turned up, I was just thinking, oh, good, you're back. You're actually quite good. <laughs> yeah. I liked that... I think my favourite scene, actually, was when they when had he turned the, up at the, the house. exhibition. Oh, the exhibition, okay. Yeah. Right. I know um, when he turned up at the house, that was good. There's yeah. a lot of broad comedy in the film, which is a little bit random at yeah. times, but... Well, this is the thing. This is, again, it, I think this this is what sort of exacerbates my reaction to it. because you get these little people coming in, and they're far more interesting than Turner is. Uh, so I kind of wish this film was about Hayden. I kind of wish that um, uh, this film was told from like Girl with a Pearl Earring from the point of view of the maid. Um, I think I think uh, see. <laughs> I didn't like. I wasn't hugely interested in that. I was more interested in Marion Bailey's character because hmm. I thought she was. I actually. She, I thought she was wonderful, and I it really made me want to see the, her life story because right. she had like, she's had two husbands. Her first husband died early, and she became a single mother, and yet she's got this really friendly persona about her. And she's Positive attitude, joy. yeah, yeah. And I just thought, well, you know, it would be really interesting to see what, um, what happened to her, and I think what she gives in that relatively small role is really big for the film. No, I think she's very good. I um, I think, because uh, Atkinson got nominated at the um, the Biffers. Not a fan of this. Not well, at well, all. I did I did like her a lot, actually. But I think it's just because she's got a very expressive face. And she doesn't actually, actually, she doesn't have a tremendous amount to do. Um, it's a narrow character, but I think she plays it very limp. In a way that you'd expect. I don't know, I don't I didn't I, really see a lot there. I love her face when the the guys do. They got the viewing of the, uh, the paintings, and the guy starts going off on some sort of like artistic uh, description uh, uh, analysis of it, and she just the the look on her face is just it's just like what are you on about or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was quite funny. But um, it's it's too long. 
Yeah, it is. It really is. I mean, I was thinking, I, I was, I was saddled this week with stupid cinema times. There was nothing between like half four and eight o'clock. So I had yeah. this starting at eight o'clock. So really, it starts at 25 past eight. It's two and a half hours. So it's 11 o'clock by the time you've finished. And it's half 11 by the time I'm getting home. And this is the night after Nightcrawler, which started at 8.40, 25 minutes of ads, Oof. five past nine, two hours. So I had two hours, Saturday, Sunday, back to back, um, finishing at 11 in town. And then driving half an hour back, so this second one, it was too long, but I was very tired going in. Hmm. My cinema for this was absolutely packed. Mine was pretty not, actually. Like, I'm talking like ten, ten seats left. Really? Because with view, you can be like, you know how many seats are left, it was ten. Really? Hmm. And, which probably means they should really put on a big, bigger screen. They yeah. probably underestimated it a little bit because it was in a shopping centre and I think there's probably a lot of kind of middle-aged couples there yeah, yeah, yeah. that will go and see that. Um, Leslie Manville, I thought, was really good in nice a accent. very small role. Great accent. It mm. reminded me of people from... Because I've got family in Dundee. Mm. It reminded me of that. Educated actually. Scottish, yeah. Yeah. Um... I, mean, I, don't, I think some of the more in- there are some interesting things there, like with, with the whole in, uh, with the with the railway coming through and uh, with uh, the uh, photo- photography. I mean, I, I I think it does say a few interesting things, but it doesn't, and it just but it just shows him being just sort of scared and you know it doesn't. It's not a leaping point for them him for them for him to go and get really creative. It's it's a realistic thing it, it, in terms of the topic because it would be things that he would be um, that would be pressing for him, but then I, it doesn't mind the impact on him and specifically on the work. I mean, and surely with Turner, the interest is in the work, and um, so when you get the scene where he's like taking the mick out of Constable and then putting on the um, the boy, uh, that's one of the be- that's one of the best scenes in the film because it's about the mm. work. Mm. I think yeah. I think what the film shows the most is the, that he's so disenchanted with everyone around him. Is um, that why the score's so terrible? <laughs> well, I don't think it's terrible. It's but dissonant, it's, isn't it's it? It's very, very heightened compared to the rest of the film. It's like the you admit um, the sound mixing's a bit. It's it's very reminiscent of the uh, score for Fury last week. Actually, it's just I think it's just jarring for the sake of it's it. Like, <laughs> yeah, you do that one. I'll do another one really close, and that'll that'll set that really. I I think it's one of these ones where you would close your eyes, uh, but then um you you've got to be looking at something to distract you from the noise that's 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 grating your eardrums. <sighs> I would liked it. Um, <laughs> I liked it for. I think there were a lot of um, interesting conversations in it as well. And I do think it's an in- a very evocative portrait of the era, hmm. if not the man. Yeah. And this is why it shouldn't really be called Mr. Turner. No. <laughs> but uh, B+. Plus. <sighs> I don't... I think this is well acted enough and well shot enough to be a decent... to be okay. It's, it's a three-star film, a low one for me, though. It's... It's a, it's five out of ten. Okay. All right, so we're going to talk about um, good films about artists. Hopefully, well, I've just mentioned a few of them on something like. Yeah, um, I haven't actually researched this. One of no. them, I did. 
Pollock. Pollock, I've forgotten about Pollock. Pollock's really good. I thought it was really interesting, actually, and that is one case where it does explore... Um, creation. The creation based on the personality. And the score there is brilliant, because I think it's in seven... It's in it's in seven beats in a bar. It 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 it, it highlights that. So that's where something where the score is actually doing something different and uh, unusual, which which then literally is a very subtle way of underscoring uh, what he was doing was unusual. And um, I think the I think the score for Pollock is absolutely brilliant. And um, that's that's one like um, uh, that that's one like um, uh, something like uh, Savage from Sorry, where it's the, we it's the creation of it all that is. One one of the more interesting things. Yeah. Um, I want to mention Andre Rublev. Mm, I've forgotten that. <laughs> Which is more probably more about faith than art, but it's, mm. he is an artist in it, and so that's an interesting one. <laughs> what's What's your top one? Yeah, yeah, my, it, it probably would be Girl with the Pearl Earring. Um, yeah, I, I, I do really love that film. I think it's. Um, uh, probably Scarlet's best performance, and it was the start of Firth, me taking Firth seriously as a dramatic actor after Mr. Darcy. Right. Um, Savage Messiah, Dorothy Tootin is brilliant. I think this is '73. Um, it's it's uh, the film's a little bit stuffy in places, but it's uh, worth it for her alone. If you, you can see that film, do. And I Ren- definitely will see that because it's um, Ken in, Russell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I really like Renoir. Um, I thought that was a gorgeous film, uh, and uh, interesting with the uh, relationships on three ways. Oh, um, La Belle Noiseuse. It's not just all about Emmanuel Bayard taking her clothes off. Um, surprise, surprise. Well, no, <laughs> yeah, it's Michelle Piccoli gives a good gives a good performance. It is too long. Jane Bir- Jane Birkin's really good in it, but um, that's um, I think when they asked Bayard about it in New York, I think it was New York Film Festival or something like that, and said he. He wasn't interested in my ass, he was interested in my soul. <laughs> it's a very interesting way of uh, viewing it. Because obviously he's just like, he's like the, uh, the tyrant of a, uh, a painter just making a... do out all these poses. I'm sure he wouldn't have minded the ass either, but... Well, no. <laughs> um, I wanted to mention, last one from me, um, Seraphine, mm. which I, I did actually like the film as well, but the performance Yolanda Moreau I think is uh, excellent in the film and um, it's an interesting one because it's not a conventional biopic mm. um, no it's and not she's, and she's it's more really about her mental fragility rather like Camille Claudel yeah yeah oh she, oh she was a painter as well wasn't she sculptor I think oh sculptor and um, this is not the last film about a painter this year, because Big Eyes is coming out. What's uh, who's that about? Oh, this is Warhol. This is Amy Adams as Margaret Keane. Oh, who's an American artist who let her husband take all the credit. Really. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. Um, Shag Mary Kill. Uh, yes, please. Um, so I would uh, shag as in watch again right now necessary death of Charlie Countryman because I kind of want to mm-hmm. I would marry as in watch every weekend for the rest of my life Nightcrawler because I think it's that would be, that would be a more 
entertaining in general watch uh, than Gods, and I would kill Mr. Turner because I don't see much reason for it to exist, apart from giving St- uh, Timothy Spall a job. Okay. Well, you didn't even mention Timothy Spall's effort in this, because Oscar buzz for Spall. I think he's good, but that's about it. I think well, I, the character doesn't have a lot of dimensions. So. Character doesn't have a lot of dimensions. I think there's similarities to Depardieu's portrayal in uh, Welcome to New York with the just general grunting. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's that crossing. Yeah, it's that crossed with um, uh, the least interesting parts of Danny DeVito's performance in Batman Returns. <laughs> uh, and um, the poison umbrella. <laughs> yeah, and. Um, uh, when when it, when he shoves the camera in his face for the big scenes, I'm I'm not emotionally invested enough in them. Uh, sport. I think the father performs thing was it. Good. Fi- sport performs it fine, but like the scene with the prostitute. Um, no, that that was a bad scene. Who was? I think she was the sister in Happy Go Lucky. I immediately recognised her. What? Uh, but I didn't no know. way. Was she? I think so. She's like you know when um, uh, she the chubby sister. Yeah, when she gets drunk really early on in the film, I'm pretty certain it's her. Because um, I don't think I've seen her in anything else, um, but I thought she, I thought she was better than him in that scene. <laughs> okay, um, I'm going to marry by mile Nightcrawler. Mm. I can't kill Mister Turner because I really liked it, mm. um, so I'm going to have to shag it. Mm. So which means I'm going to have to kill one of yours. Um, of the two, Charlie Countryman. No, because you, you, it's your boy, and you'd actually want oh, to watch it. Oh, I can't it. kill Shire. No. I'll kill the Poles. Kill the, kill the Poles, because um, I've, got, had I've, hardship. I've got over that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. I love how about three people are going to get that, and me and you two. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, the Olsen Factor. Oh, God. God, right, so I'm including... Um, uh, Evan. Yeah. Um, I think there was. I wasn't in love with the hair situation, so we'll go with Hathaway. We'll be kind and say Hathaway. Um, <laughs> Nightcrawler, Rene Russo, Once Upon a Time would have been the great, one of the greatest yeses uh, America's ever produced. Yeah. Uh, not anymore. Um, and not not against Watson either? Would that not have happened? I doubt it. Okay. I, doubt, I doubt besmirch Watson. Looks wonderful for 60, though. Oh, yeah. Must be said. <laughs> yeah. Uh, gods, the wife's all right, but there's a load of nice actually. But it's it's just no no one sticks out. Uh, and Mr. Turner, the, the many women of Mr. Turner. Well, it's just the prostitute, isn't it? <laughs> it's always just the prostitute, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's not not going to be yes, is it? Well, it's just because if I was just picturing the Adidas tracksuit she'd clearly be wearing. <laughs> whilst hanging around and keep standing um, that's the Houston problem yeah it is a Houston problem <laughs> retrospective Houston problem now. yes the imaginary Houston problem <laughs> um, yeah I think I think uh, I think Lizzie's got this covered okay cracking mm. um, okay Nightcrawler we have um, Jake Gyllenhaal is massive say do mm-hmm. because did you see the photo with Rene Russo. Yes. Um, that I put on the Facebook page. Yes. Absolute yes in this. Looks great. Mm. Um, but no. No. Just massive. Reese Ahmed, nice, but no. Right. That's fair enough. And oof, there's nobody really 
Uh, Bill Paxton's a no. No, Bill no. Uh, so, no. Um, Mr. Turner. I'm struggling here. Timothy Spall's a no. The, there was an American guy who was alright. Do you know who I mean? Um, One of the artists. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. He was fine, but no. So it's easy week for Oscar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Shire might have been a side for you. Uh, oh, really? Mads McCutter with blonde hair, would he be potential? No. <laughs> that was no. quick. <laughs> Somewhere Suzanne Beer is about cocking the gun at you. <laughs> And the Danish. <laughs> okay. And we're um, back to Alicia Vikander. <laughs> <laughs> we have a website. It's moveforpodcast.com. You can see our November schedule. The sketch. Um, the sketch. And you can check out all of our episodes so far. We're on iTunes. We're on Facebook. We're on Feedburn and Stitcher. Casts. Uh, that's about it. And next week... You know what we have next week, don't you? We have... The, we, I've just slagged him off. Or oh, used him as an example. Yeah. In this very podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's Interstellar. It's the return of Christopher Nolan. It's the 169 minute Interstellar. Seriously? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And um, how, how... Should we just take a bet? Or a gentleman's over-under of uh, what percentage of that 169 minutes is going to be scored? Ninety nine point five, probably. <laughs> that line in the trailer where Anne Hathaway says, "You might have to choose between seeing your children again and the fate of the world, or whatever." I was thinking, did Trier write this? <laughs> <laughs> that is a massive freak. Kirsten Dunst does not have any children, Melancholia, which you'd know if you'd see it. <laughs> Why is there one shot of Jessica Chastain in that bloody trailer? Is she's it? definitely no, she's definitely got a decent role in it. Really? Supporting, but she's a decent role. Uh we also have Leviathan next week, which I don't know if we're gonna be, be able to do that next week, are we? I doubt it. Unless it's on um uh Curzon. Oh it might well we'll have to check. But it, in any case we'll do that in November. Oh, there are there are there are a few um Films pottering around my um, foreign language stuff. Uh, there's a French film festival starting on Friday. Uh, Italy's submission to the Oscars is at my one of my local cinemas for two days on Wednesday and Thursday. So I'll try and get around to one of them. Okay, as human capital. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we also have Kieran Knightley in Say When. Greeted with absolute silence there. No, this is the one with Sam Rockwell, right? Yes, this is one. Yeah. yeah. And is it Abigail Breslin? I don't know. There's a girl in it, isn't there? I think it's Ab- is it Abigail Breslin. I don't know. I don't want to know. Do I you... may see that because I like Kira. Really? Someone's got to. I'm just checking now if Abigail Breslin's in it. Um, Chloe Moretz, that's it. Oh. Uh, the other one. How gutting for me. <laughs> it's almost like seeing Judy Greer in the new Jason, for like a second and a half in the new Jason Reitman trailer and you're thinking, damn. Oh, you said damned. I thought you meant Dench. No. I was like, I can't believe De- Judy Dench is in a Jason Wrighton film. As if. 
<laughs> I honestly thought Tench. <laughs> this <laughs> this um, film with Kristen Wiig called The Skeleton Twins next week. Mm. And there's also November Man with Pierce Brosnan and his Danish. <laughs> the Danish do love a bit of Pierce. They do. They're not the only ones. So we'll see what we can muster this week. Um, do you have a jam? I do have a jam. Uh, phone call by a band called Hi Highs who sound just like Fleet Foxes. I'm glad you didn't say Maroon 5. <laughs> phone call. Yeah. That was phone call, wasn't it? Was it Payphone. Payphone. I, I have to listen to that now. It's better than smooth, that's all I can say. My jam is Tamar Braxton featuring Future. Let me know. Really? It's not Richston then? Oh god, that's unbearable. <laughs> I cannot stand that song. What? He cackled mischievously. I was just pleased. <laughs> I was just taken by my actual reaction to that one. <laughs> okay, so next week we'll try and get around. We'll definitely get around to Interstellar. How have you not seen Ouija? You supposed for horror fan. I know. Well, ugh. it's the kind of thing where I saw the trailer and thought I know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, and more importantly, how on earth is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles still on four showings a day next week? Oh my God, where's this at? My my world. <laughs> Oh, hang on. There's a Greek film called My Sweet Canary, a colourful celebration of music and eventful life of Greece's legendary Rabitko singer, Rosa Escanzi. What's Rabitko? I don't, well, uh, if only we uh, knew someone Greek could tell us that. Should we end on a Rabitko track? Is it going to be banging? <laughs> In the most Lucy Punch of ways.
Day before it dies. 